Good morning. Today's scripture comes from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. Mary said, With all my heart I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone, from one generation to the next, who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you. I love the season of Advent for a number of reasons, but ultimately the season of Advent is a time of preparation. We are preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ. And what I think is really important about that this morning is that sometimes those preparations bring us great joy, and sometimes they require us to engage in some introspection. And this morning's sermon uh, will end with great hope, but uh, is going to be a time where we'll have an opportunity to ask ourselves some really powerful questions for our lives. So let's, let's jump right into this second installment of our sermon series called A Christmas Carol. Uh, early in the book, Ebenezer Scrooge is in his famous counting house when a solicitor comes in to uh, ask him for some money. And I, I just want to read this exchange as it is written in the book. It goes like this. At this festive season of the year, Mr. Scrooge, it is more than usually desirable that we should make some slight provision for the poor and destitute who suffer greatly at the present time. Many thousands are in want of common necessaries. Hundreds of thousands are in want of common comforts, sir. To which Scrooge replied, Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons, sir. And the workhouses, are they still in operation? Very busy, sir. Well, those who are badly off must go there. Mr. Scrooge, many cannot go there, and many would rather die. And Scrooge says, if they would rather die, they'd better do it. And decrease the surplus population. Just want to remind you, We don't like that guy, right? Ebenezer Scrooge uh, comes to us from Charles Dickens in 1843, and when Charles Dickens was writing A Christmas Carol, about 20% of London's population of children actually went to school. The other 80%, most of them worked in workhouses and factories. Uh, Now, 10 years before this, uh, England actually passed some child labor laws. In the 1830s, they passed a law that said, if you are 11 years of age or older, you are not allowed to work more than 72 hours a week. 
they passed another one for those who were 9 and 10, which said they're not allowed to work more than 48 hours a week. It's interesting to me that at that time in London, the life expectancy for a child in a workhouse, they were, they were supposed to, they're expected to live until they were 25 years of age. It's into this environment that Charles Dickens writes. He articulates the indifference of the society around him through Scrooge's words, Have I not paid my taxes, which go to provide homes for the poor and prisons for the naughty and food for the hungry? No, I will not give more. If they die, all the better. That was the state of Scrooge's heart. And... And the thing is that if I were to be completely honest with you, I would tell you there are some moments in my life when I kind of struggle to find grace for people in poverty too. So what I need to say to you is is very real, and so it's going to feel raw, but that's okay. In fact, the only way that we're ever going to learn from each other is if we're willing to be vulnerable with one another, but you have to understand this. The, one of the things that I value in my life is, is hard work. I value hard work. I, I like to work hard. My dad is in his mid-70s. To this day, he still manages restaurants, which is a brutal business to be in. My dad gave me a lot of gifts, and aside from his love, there is not a single gift he gave me more important than my work ethic. And my sense is that I'm not alone in this room. Most of us in the middle class, one of the things we value above so many other things is this commitment to work hard. And that's why when I look at people and a society that has a growing sense of entitlement, it drives me crazy. For me to work hard and then to look at people who live on handouts and welfare, The truth is that there are some times that Rob has to be really careful because I'm susceptible to passing judgment on those folks. There have been times in churches, not here yet, but other churches, where I have had people come into my office in tears because they couldn't buy presents for their children at Christmas. And I spent the rest of my day in my office with my windows open trying to get the stale stench of cigarette smoke out of my office. And inside of Rob was this conversation that says, if you really want to buy your kids Christmas presents and you can't afford it, stop buying cigarettes. I can make a case for turning a blind eye to those in need because... I believe that some people choose neediness, but there are two challenges I think might be worth raising to this perspective that Rob tends to hold from time to time. Challenge one, most people who are in poverty don't choose to be in poverty. Most people who are in poverty 
don't choose to be in poverty. Most people who are in poverty are in something called generational poverty. What that means is that, that their grandparents were in poverty and then their parents were in poverty and now they are in poverty. And yes, we've all heard these wonderful stories about people who through a lot of hard work and ingenuity and smarts are able to bring themselves up by the bootstraps. And those are great, great stories for us to tell. But what we need to realize is that the vast majority of people who are born into poverty are going to die in poverty. They don't choose it. It is handed to them. Most people don't choose poverty. That's important to know. The second thing that's important for me to know is this, to remind myself of. Even in those cases where people have this profound sense of entitlement, when people are in this situation of poverty because of choices that they have made, The second thing Rob needs to remember is that there was a time in Rob's life when Rob made some pretty bad decisions and the people around me loved me and God showed me grace. Ebenezer Scrooge had no compassion for those who were poor. And if I'm totally honest with you, there are some times that I struggle to find compassion. And if you're totally honest back, as I described my disdain for entitlement, a number of you wanted to say amen. And it's into this environment that Charles Dickens introduces a tremendous gift in the form of the ghost of Christmas present. Now, the ghost of Christmas present in our society has been relegated to the jolly old soul who eats and drinks and is merry. But the truth about this man in the story, the spirit in the story, is that the ghost of Christmas present is by far the most prophetic character in the entire novel. And in just a moment, I want to show us a video clip. And most of the time we hear video clip, we're like, yeah, because Forrest Gump or the Muppet Christmas Carol, and that's great, but this is not a yeah kind of, kind of video, okay? Uh, this is a video that's that's real and that's that's honest. And I think that if we if we paid close attention to the video and unpack it together, I think we're going to find great hope springing for us. So without any further ado, I want to invite you to take a look at this video. Who would have thought that General Patton would make such a good Ebenezer Scrooge, right? So the Ghost of Christmas present takes Ebenezer Scrooge first to the home of the Cratchit family. Uh, where Mr. Scrooge discovers something he didn't expect. Scrooge discovers that the Cratchit family is filled with great joy, which is such a contrast to Scrooge's own life. And if we pay attention, one of the things that the Ghost of Christmas Present actually teaches us is this. Joy, real joy, can only be found in relationships. Joy, real joy, can only be found in relationships. It doesn't come from our financial portfolios or the gadgets or gizmos that we purchase at Christmas. Real joy can only be found in our relationship with God and with one another. Um, Andy and I, my wife and I, have discovered that we have the ability to to pretty much buy each other whatever we want for Christmas. Now, I'm not like a Lexus or anything. I don't mean that. Or maybe I am going to get her a Lexus for Christmas. Um, but have you experienced the difficult phenomenon that when you're trying to buy a present for somebody who can afford basically whatever they want, it's really hard to buy a present for that person? 
My guess is most of us are in that boat in some relationships in our lives. And so this past year, I took a different tactic with my wife. I got her a book called What I Love About Us. And uh, the thing about the book is you open the book and there are these little fill in the blank things that I had to fill in before I gave it to her. And they were trying to express, you know, what I love about her, what I love about us. Like one of the questions was, if you were to start, if we were to start a small business together, what would it be? And I just, I thought we'd, we'd really, really good end of life care team, right? Like when her, her doctor science mumbo jumbo runs out, they call in the big guy. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, like we could, we could, we could call it, uh, healing or resurrection. No? On further reflection, maybe my business plan <laughs> needs some revision. But the point is that I gave this book to Andy. She opened it. She started to read it. Then she started to cry. And she looked at me and said, this is the best gift you've ever given me. I was like, it costs $7.99. Are you kidding me right now? What about the diamond necklace last year? <laughs> right? She loved it. She absolutely loved it. Why? Because it reflected our relationship. And the only thing that really brings joy to our lives is relationship. Ebenezer Scrooge said, let the poor die. They don't don't have any connection to me. But what he learned that night is a powerful lesson. Ebenezer Scrooge walked into the home of the Cratchits thinking that he was wealthy and they were in poverty. And he walked out realizing they were wealthy and he was impoverished. Joy can only be found in relationship. That's one lesson we learned from the ghost of Christmas present. But this leads us to the most prophetic moment in the book. Towards the end of Scrooge and ghost of Christmas present's time together, Scrooge looks down and he sees this thing protruding from the robes of the ghost of Christmas present. And he says, is that a hand or is it a claw? And the ghost of Christmas present opens his robes and there are these two emaciated, terrifying children. And Scrooge says, are are these your children's spirit? And the ghost says, these are humanity's children. He says, this boy is called ignorance and this girl is called want. Beware of them both and all of their kind, but especially beware of this boy called ignorance. For on his forehead is written, doom. What does that mean? Does it mean boys are ignorant and girls want stuff? No, no, that is not, that's not what this means, right? What is that, what is, what is Dickens trying to convey in this passage? Ignorance and want, beware of them both, but especially ignorance, for on its forehead is written doom. Dickens was trying to say to us that if we ignore those in poverty and those who are in ignorance, we will do so at our own peril. See, he was writing to a generation and saying to them, you call yourself a Christian nation, but look at the state that our children are in. And if you ignore these children, it will spell doom for our society. Now, we're, here we are 175 years later, right? And most of, most of our kids are not in workhouses. 
If your kid is in a workhouse, let him out, right? Most of our kids are in school. Our children, for the most part, are not in great want, and they're not experiencing ignorance. But there are places around the world where ignorance and want are still realities. Like, for example, did you know that Afghanistan is one of the poorest countries in the world? It is. There's this rolling list of poorest countries in the world. Afghanistan, the top 25. Afghanistan is always in the top 25 list of poorest countries in the world. The average family lives on less than $2,000 a year in Afghanistan. Our children are fortunate enough to go to school. We combat want and ignorance all the time. That's not the case in Afghanistan. And I wonder if it's any coincidence that the single greatest act of terror in the history of the United States was planned and executed from one of the poorest countries in the world. You see, you know what has to happen, what has to exist in order for religious extremism to happen? And I'm not just saying Islamic extremism. There's Christian extremism too. Like, I don't want people to judge me by the actions of the KKK, right? There is Christian extremism just like there's Islamic extremism. You know, the conditions that have to exist are two. In order for a religious extremism to thrive, there has to be separation and there has to be ignorance. For religious extremism to thrive, isolation and ignorance are necessary. So, as long as there are children living in poverty, we're going to find that there are homes for ignorance to breed and thrive, that want and ignorance and doom are in fact still written on foreheads across the world. And you're saying, Rob, this is kind of a downer, man. Where is the hope? Well, there is hope. I'll confess, I don't really know what to do about Afghanistan. But I think we got a pretty good shot at Stafford. And if we're looking for how to bring hope to Stafford, the place we can find it is in our scripture passage this morning. Mary says these words in Luke chapter 1. With all my heart I glorify the Lord. Some texts say I magnify the Lord. In the depths of who I am I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on his low, the low status of his servant. Look, from now on everyone will consider me highly favored because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Mary was a young lady, virtually a child, of almost no consequence in her society. She almost certainly wrestled with poverty. You say, how do you know that? I know that because of the type of person she married, his job. The Bible in Greek says that Joseph was a tecton, a tecton, which can get translated and often is translated as a carpenter, but tecton literally just means builder. And I think it's interesting to note that the Bible doesn't say that Joseph was an architecton, which is from which we get the word architect, the leader of the builders. Nope. Joseph was a tecton. And in a time before contracts made construction workers somewhat more secure as contractors, the most, the most apt analogy for what Joseph did in our modern parlance, Joseph was a day laborer. And Mary wed him. She grew up in poverty. She married someone in poverty. Add to that the fact that she was young 
and female and an overly patriarchal society. And we would find that Mary had very little hope for her life until everything changed. And why did it change? Everything in Mary's life changed because God believed in Mary. It wasn't just that Mary believed in God. Eventually she does, but it starts with God believing in Mary. God telling Mary that she has a purpose in this world. If we encourage and love and support people around us, especially young people in our lives, everything changes for them. Mary teaches this to us. With everything inside of me, I magnify the Lord because everyone thought that I was lowly when God told me a different story. So how do we combat ignorance and want? We invest in relationships. You want to change the world? Invest in a child. That's what God did. And not just for Mary. God looked at your life and my life and God said, there is something worth saving. That's the heart of the Christmas story. God looks at the world and says that you and I are worth saving and then God does everything in God's power to save us. We can believe the lie that want and ignorance don't affect us because they don't impact our families in an everyday sense. We can tell ourselves that people choose poverty and that ultimately it's not our problem. But if we do that, if we continue to believe that, it spells doom for all of us. There's a different path. Instead of being isolated from those around us, we can build relationship with them. We can invest in people, especially children. We can tell them that they are loved, that they belong, that they have a purpose in this world. This past week, I got to volunteer at Brain Builders, which is a tutoring program Ebenezer Church runs at one of the local elementary schools. I was a little bit anxious about being a tutor because I hadn't been a tutor for a while. just want to highlight how my experience went that day. I sat with a group of three children at a table. They were kind of reading and doing some math. And one of the kids at one point looked at me and pointed his book. He said, what's that word? I said, bike. He said, okay. That was the tutoring. That's, that's, that's the kind of skill set you gotta bring to this, right? One girl, one girl asked me, she said, which number is in the tens place? I was even able to figure that out, right? But the coolest thing about this was I, you know, I didn't think I'd making that big of a difference. I was hanging out with these kids, I read them a story. When it was time for them to pack up when the bus was coming, the littlest boy at my table looked at me, he said, hey man, will you come back and see us? I said, yes, I will. <laughs> he said, okay, I'll see you next week. I said, no, no, wait, wait, wait. I mean, I'm coming back, but not, not next week. I, I was at my son's school volunteering this, this past week, and uh, it, he goes to Rock Hill Elementary School. Uh, it's such a great school, and I'm so honored to be able to be part of, part of just volunteering there once a month. And, uh, and I, as, as I was volunteering, and I, all I was doing, I was, I was making kits for the kids to build Christmas trees out of construction paper, and I was, I was tracing candy canes on big white sheets of paper that's the skill level that it was required for me to volunteer. Otherwise, I couldn't have done it, right? 
And But the whole time I was there, there was this woman for three hours making copies. For three hours. She made copies for three hours. And I looked at her, I said, what did you do to these people? Make you and she said, oh, well, I've got, a, I've got a grandchild who goes here to school and I make all the copies for the third graders. Imagine how much time teachers get back to invest in children when people just like you and me show up at a local school and invest a little bit of time there. I look at uh, some of the senior adults around, and, and from time to time, I'm not, I'm not projecting on this, I'm simply reflecting back to you what I have heard. From time to time, I find that some senior adults encounter crisis after they retire. Uh, I've had this job forever and ever, and now what am I supposed to do? And I look around Stafford, and I think about all these Marines who are stationed here at Quantico, and their families are somewhere else, right? Just their wives and kids, their husbands and kids, and they're, they're here together. I think about Think about all the government service folks who live in Stafford and commute up to Washington, D.C., and they're away from grandparents. I feel like if, if you're a senior adult and you want to find something to do, there are a lot of kids right around here at Ebenezer Church that need some grandparents for a while. This is my challenge. I challenge you to invest in the life of someone that's not in your family. Don't ask if they deserve it. Invest in the life of someone around you who's not in their family by doing the simplest thing in the world, telling them the gospel truth, that they are loved, that they belong, that they have purpose. And when we do those things, two things will happen. One, the souls of the people in whom we invest will magnify the Lord just like Mary's soul did. And two, joy which can only be found in relationship will spring anew in our hearts. My brothers and sisters, let's reject the lie that tells us we're isolated from the people around us. And instead, let us bring hope. Not because everyone we encounter will deserve it, but because there was a time in your life and mine when we didn't deserve grace either and God gave it to us. So let us build relationships and bring hope to the world. We pray with me? God, I thank you once again for the story of Mary. I thank you for the way that you believed in this precious child this woman who really didn't have much of a shot until you told her she was special. I thank you for the way that you transformed her life. And I thank you for the fact that you do the same for all of us. You tell us that we are special. You tell us we're loved, that we belong, that we have a purpose in this world. You tell us those things. We find those truths about ourselves in you. Now help us in this season of Advent as we prepare our hearts for your coming. Help us to go forth and build relationships which create an opportunity for us to tell others the truth. Help us to invest in those around us. Help us to combat ignorance and want in every way that we can so that our souls will magnify the Lord and so that they will be filled with joy. We pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ our Lord and always for the sake of his kingdom.
and all of God's children said, Amen.